Isn't that beautiful? Deb arranged that. This, you are here for the debut of that uh, arrangement of Great is Thy Faithfulness. And Julia is here. For those of you with children, can go back and meet her and get your Bible bags. The rest of us, let's turn to Joel chapter 2. Joel is only three chapters long. It's in the uh, prophet section of the Old Testament, so I'll give you a moment to find it. We are, as I said, uh, focusing on both the Gospel of Luke as the lectionary takes us there. Next week we'll actually go to the, to the Gospel of Luke as we prepare for the sacrament. Uh, but we'll also be going back and forth to some of the Old Testament prophecies as we did last week with Jeremiah. Today we're at Joel 2, which is uh, very well known because as we'll see, it's the prophecy that occurred at, that was fulfilled at Pentecost as we talked about last week. So Joel chapter 2, we're going to start with verse 23 in just a moment. One of my favorite uh, biblical concepts is in fact found in this prophecy of Joel. It's not the section that uh, we often talk about where the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh, but it has to do with God restoring us for the loss that our sin causes to us or the sin that other people have done that has caused us great loss. God says it this way, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. He is referring to a disaster that has just been experienced in Israel that is described in the first chapter of Joel where a swarm of locusts comes in and evades all the land and destroys the crop. Uh, the scholars tell us that the, the plague was probably only a single event. It wasn't a multi-year event, but it was so pervasive that it not only ate up all the grain that was in the fields, but it went into the granary and ate up all the grain from last year's harvest, and it in fact went into the granary that is the seed for the next year's harvest. And so it's a devastation to the land. If they don't have help, they are not going to have food, and they are going to starve. And so in that moment, it's in that kind of context that God says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm. Now, as we'll see, the locusts came as a consequence of the people of God not obeying the laws of God. And this is the result. Uh, but the promise, of course, is that God makes is that even if it's our own fault, if we will own our sin, if we will confess the truth about our thought, word, and deed, in which we were not living in the purity and the wholeness and the love of God in all ways in our lives, if we confess that, and then the promise that God gives is he not only forgives and cleanses us of that sin sickness that we talked about a few weeks ago, but he will also repay us for the years the locusts have eaten. Now, I don't know about you, but I find great comfort in that promise that we find in the Old Testament of God's gracious forgiveness and care. We do suffer during the locust years, there's no doubt about that, and there are consequences that come from sin, and they sometimes uh, follow us throughout our lives, but God repays, he renews, he restores our soul such that we do not have to uh, fall short of what God intended our lives to be and intended us to be when we reach the, the last uh, days of our lives. The analogy, I was trying to think of a way to depict this, 
so that we could all understand clearly. And I, I came immediately to the thought of those investment charts that you have. You know how when you go to see uh, your investment counselor and they say, if you only save like 10 cents a day, you're going to be a multimillionaire by the time you're uh, an old person. And of course, it's this a wonderful thing of compound interest. The problem with these kinds of charts, and we all know, that dead reckoning in which it simply says everything in your life is going to go great and you're always going to be able to save and you're always going to have good interest rates, is that life doesn't work that way. <laughs> this is the way life really is. This is just a chart of interest rates as they've been changed. But you and I know that, that there are some years that come upon us and things fall upon us in such a way that we can't save or even can't save, but sometimes we have to take out what we have saved. And so those charts, although they're true, when you just take it as a dead reckoning and, and there's no uh, life kind of taken into consideration, these years that the locusts have eaten are difficult for us to ever make up. And so when you have those down years and then you start saving again, you can see on this chart that doesn't include compound interest, that in fact, you're not at the 21, which you would have been had you not had the locust years. You're at the 10. And you're not who you could have been had the locust years not have, have hit you. But in God's economy, in his repayment of the locust years, the price that Jesus paid on the cross is the investment that he makes in our reaching his goals for our lives. And they're more than sufficient to repay those fruitless years, those painful years, the selfish years, the loveless years, the rebellious years, the misdirected years, the Christless years of our lives. Now again, I don't know about you, but that is the best news I've ever heard. I know that in my own life, there are so many things that I regret. And I would like to say that, well, they only occurred in my rebellious teen years where I left God and I left the church and did things that are still harming me today. But there have been some misdirected and selfish years in my adult life where I got caught up more in achieving my goals than God's where I was more interested in Cheryl meeting my needs than my meeting hers. Or when I took my family for granted and did not realize the unbelievable value and gift that every human being is to each of us. Now what I love about the promise of Joel is that even though all of that is true about me and perhaps it's true in your life as well, we do not live in that permanent deficit of the past locust years. But in fact, God gives blessings. And those blessings are his intended place where you and I are going to end up. And due to what he invests into our lives, we are able to achieve all that God intends for us. And we will live in that place eternally because of what God has done, not because somehow we were able to make up those years but it's rather the promise and fulfillment of God. Last week when we studied the, the promise or prophecy of Jeremiah, 
we realize that the fulfillment of that promise of a new covenant, of a, a new relationship with God was uh, fulfilled on the time of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh and the law was no longer something external that we had to go to to see what the law said, but rather it was written on our hearts and our minds such that we think like God thinks. We are convicted as God is convicted. Our heart breaks for the things that breaks God's heart. And we become new creatures in a new relationship with God, living in that wonderful, holy way. Well, the prophecy uh, that fulfilled that in uh, the book of Acts comes here from this second chapter of Joel. And you'll recognize it immediately. So let's go to Joel, uh, chapter 2, verse 23. And we're going to go through the 32nd verse. Joel writes, Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locust, and the other locusts, and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Now keep that open before you as we study these words. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you have been at work in the human history, your salvation history, for thousands of years. And you've given us uh, promises, prophecies that have been fulfilled and that are going to be fulfilled. And we can trust in your faithfulness. You are trustworthy. And we can live in our day, whatever the immediate circumstances might seem to imply, knowing that there's a larger story being told and that there's a larger place that's being uh, prepared for. And we just ask that you would be with each of us in, in our part in the journey and in our place in this history, and that each of us would live in the fullness of your intent. All to your glory and to your praise. Amen. Now, it's easy to see, as we saw last week, that this fulfillment of prophecy has four elements to it, and it's one of the more complex prophecies we find in the Old Testament, as I showed you the different ways last week, how prophecies are fulfilled. There is an immediate fulfillment in this prophecy. 
what happens to the actual people who hear the first words as the rains come, the threshing floor is grain, the vats are overflowing. They are blessed because God has restored them from what the locusts have eaten. Then there's that penultimate fulfillment, almost the complete, the one next to last, where the Holy Spirit was poured out on all people on Pentecost Sunday. We talked about that last week. This prophecy is even older than Jeremiah. This was written about the ninth century before Jesus Christ, as Joel uh, has God promising this to us. And then there's the ultimate fulfillment, where the new heaven and the new earth will be birthed. The sun will turn to darkness, the moon to blood, the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord will occur, in which what we know now as this world will come to an end. But then there's that wonderful application that is true of all prophecy all the way through uh, Scripture, is that these moments of God saving history are experienced in each one of our lives, in our day, and in our time that the principles of God are true in this meta-narrative, the salvation history of God, but they're true in your narrative, in your life, in your experience, and in your relationship with God. And in that, the promise of salvation is true for Joel's day, for Pentecost, and for the great and dreadful day of the Lord, but it's true today for you and for me. And so we want to take this prophecy then, and we want to apply it to today to you and to me. Now it's interesting, a few weeks ago, remember we studied the uh, healing of the ten lepers and we saw that leprosy was an analogy all the way through scripture for sin sickness, how you can't feel the pain, you don't know right and wrong and, it, and sin eventually takes away your ability to have moral feeling and you're unable to in fact be convicted for sin. Well in a similar way, the actual plague of locusts is seen throughout scripture as an analogy of what happens when we lose years of our lives by this pervasive accumulation of sinful choices. They overwhelm us and they overwhelm the world. This picture that's on the screen was taken in 2012 in Libya, due in part to the disintegration of that nation by the political changes that occurred there. This is the reality of their land. But it is spread not just in Libya, all of northern Africa is being plagued by this spread of locusts. And now it has occurred as far away as Australia. If it crosses into the Americas, it will in fact become a global plague. But sin, as a swarm of locusts, has already spread and it's been a global plague down throughout history and in every heart and in every home. Now the promise that God makes through Joel then can be expressed in these ways. It's a very rich, rich prophecy. First, that God's blessing can be experienced regardless of the loss the locusts might consume in our hearts and lives. The description, of course, that Joel gives is the overflowing fullness of Israel's blessing that comes from God's repayment after the locusts have come. And we've all experienced that unbelievable blessing that comes from following God. It's far more than any loss that we might have thought. Though the loss may be extremely painful, God's power and presence and his ultimate promises are far greater. 
Second, as you look at this, the losses are not equal. There's great locus, tragic, overwhelming loss, loss that we do not think that we can live through or ever be restored from. There's the young locus. Those, those are almost more painful than the great locus because there's so much promise when, when people are young and, and opportunities are young and churches are young and families are young. And when you lose the young, you lose all the hope that you had and all the dreams that you had for all that could have happened as you lose that, that loss. And then, of course, there's the locust swarms, the loss that comes in so many minute ways that it just overwhelms you. And it comes from all locations and in all situations, and it invades. When the locust plague occurred in Egypt, it says that these flies were in the very nostrils of the people. It was everywhere, and they could hardly breathe because they were so overwhelmed uh, by that plague. In all of these, we are told that God will work wonders for his people, that we will never again be shamed. Think of what that means. Oftentimes when bad things happen to people, they're ashamed, and they're shamed by others. And oh, if they had only lived a better life in some kind of way, and this great judgmentalness of human beings shames people in their time of great sorrow. It says he will restore our face. He'll restore our place in his kingdom, and that we can lift our heads, for our help comes from the Lord. The third thing this prophecy says is that he'll accomplish this restoration through the pouring out of his spirit on all people. That is not true up to that point in God's history. The Holy Spirit came upon specific people, and even they could lose the spirit, as David, who is spirit-filled, cries out when the spirit is taken from him. That is not no longer true of humanity. You have the Holy Spirit with you. Every person, both before and after salvation, has the Holy Spirit working in them to bring them to faith, to empower them to be able to respond to, to God's love and to be able to then live in God's love and to experience that wonderful uh, presence of God. And once we are empowered and counseled by the Holy Spirit, we can once again begin to dream dreams and to have visions for what the future could be because we're now living in the power of God. And God has, in fact, changed us such that we can live those dreams. We'll no longer be plagued by the, the patriarchal system that so has haunted humanity, a result of the fall, where men lorded over women. In the kingdom of God, both men and women, servants, it doesn't matter how wealthy you are, we're all going to dream dreams and have visions in equal relationship with God, for he's going to restore us to the Edenic paradise where men and women live in relationship with God. And of course, that vision of God's change is going to be cosmic, such that the real locus, the real sun, the real moon, the real world, will change on that great and dreadful day. And of course, it depends on what side you are when the army comes up over the hill, whether it's a great salvation or it's a dreadful day. And on that day of the Lord, when he comes, it will depend on whether he is your savior and you have given everything to him or it'll be a dreadful uh, day for the fulfillment of, and promises of God.
And of course, the promise is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation is not automatic just because you're the child of a Christian or because you live in a Christian nation or you live on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Salvation comes when you call on the name of the Lord and you accept his investment, his transformation, his regeneration in your life. And he calls you as that wonderful prevenient grace where he empowers you to be able to respond to him out of the brokenness of our lives and to be able to live with him. Now, obviously, we don't have time to look at each of those in depth. I encourage you to take this. Uh, the whole book of Joel is only three chapters, as I said. Uh, read this prophecy over several times. Then read the context and then meditate on it. Ask God to, to speak to you. What is God saying to you today in this promise that he's made to restore and then simply ask yourself the question, have I called out to God to forgive and restore the locust years of my life? It's so easy to just live with regrets and just continue to pound yourself down for the things that you've done. It's also easy to live in loss and thinks that, think that your life can, will never be the same, that God could never restore you, not after what you did or what someone did to you or what happened in this uh, fallen and broken world. It's easy to live in that place. And that is not the intention of God. He gave us this prophecy almost 3,000 years ago that we could live in a place of hope and transformation where God can restore. The component of that is we have to call on the name of the Lord and ask him to invest in us as he wants to because he's already made the call to us to come to him and allow him to do that. So this morning as we spend time with God, I, I deeply do not want you to have to live in those great places of loss. That is not God's intention for you. It is not what brings the joy of the Lord as Doug read it earlier to us. The joy is something that God gives. So let's spend time with God.